Morning, everyone. So how are you getting on coping with the temptation of that bit of paper I put out in front of you this morning? Uh, For those of you at home, I've put a little slip of paper on everyone's chair. Well, almost everyone's chair. Um, There weren't quite enough. Although, why I put them on the front three rows, I have no idea. Like, whoever sits there. So if you haven't got one and you're brave enough, you could come and get one from the front. As it says, quite clearly, don't read it. Don't open it. Yet. Uh, Your time will come. Um, First, we're going to hear from God's word. And I've asked Gemma if she would read to us. As you know, we're doing a series on the book of James, um, which Bible historians would tell us is the very first book chronologically in the New Testament, um, written by Jesus' brother, James. So this is right at the cutting edge of what the New Testament is all about. And these are the first words of that book. So thank you, Gemma. So yes, our readings from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother, in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Thank you, Gemma. So, um, this Interesting, isn't it? Gemma read a slightly older version than the one I'd put on the PowerPoint. I don't know whether you noticed. But um, in the more recent translation, um, women have been discovered. (laughs) Um, And the the more recent translations have, wherever it was right to do so, put sisters in and the person rather than it always being uh, he. 
I think that's a good thing. We're heading in the right direction. Um, but it's interesting to see how things change. When James says, my brothers and sisters, that really encourages me. If you ever look through uh, the book of James, he keeps saying it over and over again. My brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. And I think what fills me with particular joy is that he was actually biologically the brother of Christ. And he's then saying to us, my brothers and sisters. So, you know, quite literally, we are the brothers and sisters of James. We are the brothers and sisters of Christ. And this book is an amazing message from someone who was right there, who grew up with Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting the things he writes about? Because I want to know what Jesus was like when he was a teenager. I want to know if he was a bit annoying to grow up with as an older brother who never did anything wrong. I want to know whether he was actually any good at carpentry. But he doesn't talk about those things at all. He gets on with what's really important. I think it was Socrates who said... Strong minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Weak minds discuss people. And James doesn't take the opportunity to talk about all the gossip that he's got on Jesus. He spends all of his time focused on what's really, really important. He discusses ideas. And reading the book, it's powerful stuff. Like, every line is a proverb in itself. Like, it's just bam, 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 one after the other. So I really think we're going to get a lot out of this series that we're doing on James. Um, Last week, Gary set the context for the series that we're doing. So if you missed that, do go back and watch it, because it sets a lot of the historical context that we need uh, to help us get the most out of this. But the key thing to think about, really, is that this is a now and not yet book. So uh, it's been written by someone who, do you know what? He wasn't actually uh, convinced by his brother. Did you know that? Like, having grown up with him, he wasn't convinced. If you look at, someone could look this up, John 7, verse 5. It's quite a damning line there about James. So James was not convinced. Anyone find it? John chapter 7, verse 5. Go on, Sally. But even his brothers didn't believe in him. Even his brothers didn't believe in him. So James didn't believe in him. Then he sees his brother brutally beaten up, hung on a cross. What's he thinking at that point? We don't know, because he doesn't tell us. But he obviously then has some dramatic conversion experience. I'm not sure exactly when that happened. But James is one of those people who sees Jesus get beaten up, crucified in this horrible, torturous death, and then sees him rise from the dead. So Jesus appeared to the disciples first, then to 500 people, and then... Uh, to his brother James. So he's one of these people who sees Jesus in his new body. 
and sees what the future's going to hold. So this book is written saying, right, I now know what it's all about. I now know that that prophecy that we've heard that the Messiah's coming has happened, and he's here, and he's now into the new promised land, but we're not yet. And so this book is written to the Christians, who are called the followers of the way at that time, to say, we need to encourage you, because this amazing thing has now happened. But as Gary was explaining last week, it's not all going that well. Stephen has just been stoned, and everyone is now running away. I mean, they actually were told to go into Judea and Samaria and spread the message, but they basically stayed in Jerusalem spreading the message. Then Stephen is stoned, and they go off, and they're panicking. They're being dispersed. They're being sent apart. And James is worried that people are going to lose it, that this incredible message is not going to get to you. It's not going to get across to where it needs to get to because it's all getting a bit hard. And James has seen how tough it can be. So what he's saying is, now and not yet, we are a privileged people. We've been chosen by Christ and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But also, it's not yet. We're living in a far from perfect world, and you know what? It's pretty tough. Um, And he gets pretty fired up in this book. He has some pretty harsh things to say, and I don't know how this is going to go this morning, but some of you might feel it a little bit harsh, Um, particularly for going through a tough time. Because this is about trials and temptations. And I can't tell from here what you guys are going through. And you can't tell what I'm going through. But God knows. And this message is for us. So, I think there's two things that we're going to be working on this morning. We're going to be thinking about the pressures that we're facing. Now that could be you personally, or maybe us as a church... And what impact they're having on us. And then what help we need. James thinks that we're struggling with doubt, fear and compromise. Because that's what he can see at that time. People who, despite many of them having seen Jesus rise from the dead, are doubting it. Are fearful. And people who are hearing about it are going, really? Really? Are you sure? Fear, because they're being persecuted, they're being attacked. Stephen's just been stoned to death. So, you know, some of the trials we're going through perhaps aren't quite so tough. Obviously, they're tempted to walk away from it. Or compromise. I'm pretty sure that's that's a pretty good collection of words that might describe the trials and temptations that we're facing. Doubt, fear, compromise. You know, if, if I did one of those things where we put up our hands, how many of you struggle with doubt? How many of you are fearful of something or tempted to compromise? It's going to be everyone, isn't it? We're all going to be putting up our hands. And what James is saying, the answer is, what you need is a clear and reliable word from Christ. You need my book, so I'm going to write it. 
and I'm going to fill it with all the things you need to hear. You need to be encouraged to draw close to God, to draw close to Jesus through the power of his spirit. And you need to allow yourself to become a better person, to become a stronger, fitter soldier for Christ. So who's up for the challenge this morning? Well, I gave you a little test, didn't I? I put that little bit of paper on your uh, uh, chair, and some of you have been quite honest. You've not done very well, have you? (laughs) Simple, simple instruction. Uh, Now, Mike's been here the longest uh, on sound. You promised me, Mike, you weren't going to touch it. Is it still untouched? Yeah, we've got a good one at the back there. And I, I suspect there's quite a few good ones amongst us, isn't there? There's quite a few of you who are quite good goody goodies aren't you uh, but a lot of you have just had a quick look because do you know what it's just it's basically lying open anyway already isn't it but now is the moment we are going to look at it not yet <laughs> watch now in here is a simple um, primary school maths puzzle okay now the test of the temptation was not to look at it which you failed No, you haven't. Many of you have done very well. Now the trial is, can you solve the primary school maths problem? Now I'm going to give you 20, 30 seconds to read it and solve it. And then I'm going to ask one of you what the answer is. You're going to stand up and you're going to tell the rest of the church what it is. Three, two, one, go. Okay, ready? If five, six, and seven score four, nine, and five respectively, what's the lowest integer to score 55? Uh, Dave, stand up, please. Uh, what's the answer? I've got no idea. Well, at least you're honest. Have a seat. Um, stand up, everyone who does know the answer. No, it's, it's, it's actually not a primary school puzzle. It's actually a very high-level Mensa question. <laughs> but it was an interesting um, experience, wasn't it? A trial of fear. Now, some of you started laughing immediately. Nervous laughter, I can't do this, I don't even know what integer means. <laughs> um, I was going to be strict with you and say no talking, but some of you just, I knew you'd have a real breakdown at that. So you're immediately checking with your friends. Do you know what an integer is? I don't know. And how can five, six, and seven score four, nine, and five? That doesn't make sense. How can we possibly solve this in 20 seconds? So some of you start to panic. Some of you give up. Some of you are still working on it now. You're not listening to a word I'm saying because you are one of those people who will not let it beat you. You reckon you're right up there with the top of Mensa. So come on, let's solve this thing. Five, six, and seven score four, nine, and five. So it's got to be something lateral, hasn't it? It's not going to be obvious. It's not just adding up, taking away, dividing. There's nothing you can do with these numbers. Multiplying division doesn't make sense. So it's got to be lateral thinking. You're then looking at the number of letters in each word, and you're thinking, right, well, seven's got five letters, so is it how many letters there are in it? No, but you're getting closer. It is to do with the letters that are in the word. Now, you've got to think laterally. 
Look at the letters that are in the word. Now, I think we may have a few people solving it, a few hands fluttering. So, Daniel, come on then, stand up. What do you think it is? The Roman numerals. Now, can you see five has got IV in it, which is four. Six has got IX in it, which is nine. And seven has got a V in it, so it's five. Now, then the lowest integer to be able to score 55 is the one that's going to have LV in it. Yeah? Because 55 is L, is 50, and then 5 is V, so LV. And Daniel says 11, which would be correct, but it's a trick question, Daniel. (laughs) Because the letters have to be next to each other, like in six. So... It's not 11. I I thought I'd give you a really, really hard one. The answer is 12. So, now where are you at? You are now stronger, fitter, more resilient than you were a couple of minutes ago. You have been enlightened, and the next time you read the Sunday Times puzzle page, there's a chance that you'll have a better result in such a problem. You'll have another tactic that you can throw at one of these riddles. Now, how you respond to that, how you respond to that trial is is interesting to me because I'm a teacher. This is what I do. And I look at children every day tackling things which they find difficult, things that they can't do, but things that we believe as teachers they need to be able to. And life is full of these trials and challenges. This is obviously just a very facetious example, but what we learn from it is important, that for that moment in time, you were focused on trying to solve that. Now, some of you remained focused and couldn't stop focusing on it, even when that became a bad thing, because I was saying really important stuff here, and you weren't listening. Uh, Others lost your focus very early. You thought, this is too hard for me, I can't do this. Some of you saw it as an opportunity to grow and develop and think, I'm going to solve this. And when I explained it, you were listening, and you were thinking, yeah, this is important, I want to try and learn something, I want to become a, a better person here. Others of you thought, rubbish, nonsense, who needs it? And you repudiated my offer of learning. I'm not taking it personally. I've been teaching for 25 years. I'm well beyond that. But some of you are now stronger. And these are the sorts of things that's in James's mind when he's writing. He knows that trials can make us stronger. That they can be an opportunity for growth. And he talks about the importance of asking for wisdom. When you're going through a time of trial, don't give up, don't laugh it off, don't push it away, ask for wisdom, seek help. As I said, lots of you started asking the person next to you, that is not a bad thing to do. Ask around, see if people around you can help. The other thing that happened was when I started to explain it, you started to draw closer to me. It's like, he knows the answer. He's going to tell us the answer. This is interesting. And 
those trials, those difficult things, draw us closer to God. And that's what James wants to happen. He doesn't want to see people falling away. He wants to see the trials and temptations that they're struggling with drawing them closer to God. Just as an interesting point that comes to my mind, I found out as I was doing my studying for this that in James, the actual original book or or the original word, trial and temptation is the same word. So they have the same word um, for, for both. And it's only in like English that we've split it up into this bit's about trials and this bit's about temptations. Actually, the whole thing is about trials and temptations. Now, the wisdom is the reward. The drawing close to God is the reward. That's what we are... Um, being encouraged, going through these difficult times, James wants us to grow in wisdom and grow in our closeness to God. He's gone from being an unbelieving sibling to now a position of revelation. And he wants others to have that experience as well. He wants us to have that reward. Now, as I mentioned, I'm a teacher and I'm always reading educational studies. There's a brilliant one done by MIT recently. The task involved clicking circles on a screen. So candidates were presented with circles and they had to click them. Um, one, pa- one group was paid $5 to do this. Another group was paid 50 cents to do it. And another group was told to do it for free. The results, the group doing it for free was the most efficient. The group that were paid 50 cents were the worst and the group that were paid $5 were behind the group that did it for free. The intrinsic motivation of this nice person's asked me to do this, I'll try and do my best for them, I'll do a good job. That intrinsic motivation was better than being paid $5 to do it. Interesting, isn't it? Because you would think that the people who were paid to do it would do a better job. But the conclusion of it was that people will only work as hard as they value the reward. Now, clicking the circles on the screen, people getting paid $5 in the end thought, this is rubbish. I can get paid $5 doing much more interesting things than this. And to be honest, I don't even need $5. I'm bored. People were doing 50 cents, thought, this is really rubbish. Like, what on earth am I doing this for? This is terrible. I am not doing this properly. Messed it up. Whereas the people doing it for free thought, he seems like a nice guy, this researcher. He's obviously trying to do something important. I'll give it my best shot. The intrinsic reward of wisdom, the intrinsic reward of drawing close to God, is the best reward that we can offer. James wants us to persevere, and persevering is difficult. Um, as I've mentioned before, I'm a head teacher. Persevering in my job is, is tough, and I know some of you have got tough jobs as well. John has just retired this week from being a paramedic. Round of applause for John. I bet there's been some tough times in your work. We all have these tough times. One thing I've been trying, I'll just 
give it to you as, a, as an idea. If you're going through a tough time at the moment, I've been given this book. It's just a notebook, but it says on the front, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future from Jeremiah. And what I've decided to do with this book is to write in it every time I am really, really struggling with something. I've only written in it twice since I got it. But when I look back at the things I was struggling with, you know, the things that are almost bringing me to tears with how tough they were at work, I now look back at it and I think, really? Was I anxious about returning to school after COVID, after lockdown, and setting up a lateral flow test centre? That was easy. That was all right. What were you worried about that for? Why was I worried about these colleagues leaving the, the, the school and me not having them in my senior leadership team anymore? We're all right. We're doing okay. It's really interesting to look back and see things and go, oh, yeah, I remember I was struggling with that at the time. So often we don't actually write it down and we just move on and we don't celebrate actually what's happened. Why don't you just take uh, a moment and, and think what you would write in your journal if you were to write it today. What are you... Um, struggling with at the moment. The other thing I do before I allow myself to write the thing I'm struggling with is I write all the things that I'm grateful for. And they can be as simple as the garden, the birds, my bird box, uh, my car, having Sky TV on my phone. (laughs) Which I don't have anymore. I'm quite regretful about that. Um, So let's have a think for a moment. What you would put in your journal, maybe things that you're grateful for, but also things that you're anxious about. It's helped me, anyway. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters... Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that through that testing, your faith develops perseverance. Jesus has taught his brother a key lesson here, a key lesson that actually we should be joyful in these times of trouble. He's taught him that these temptations, these trials don't come from God says later on that God doesn't send them. He can't be tempted, so he's not the one sending them. But when you're going through these things, actually be joyful. Because it's those things that bring you closer to God. My father-in-law, I told him I was talking on this text uh, on, on Friday, and he said, James chapter 1, no one wants to be given that. And I thought, oh, thanks a lot, everyone. But he said... Better to be with God in the storm than be without him in the calm. I just think that's really true, that actually these trials, these storms, give us those opportunities to draw close to God. And as I said, I don't know what trials you're going through at the moment. You might be thinking, this is absolutely not relevant to me because my trial is more than I can cope with. But James had seen his brother get beaten up have a crown of thorns thrust into his head so he's bleeding, you know, whipped with 
leather whips with bits of glass and rock put in it. So his back was ripped off, nailed to a cross, absolutely brutally murdered. And yet he still sang, you know, these trials, consider them pure joy. I mean, that's quite a thing to say. And James knows the importance of getting this right, because even when he was doubting, he was listening to his brother. Um, He would have heard his brother in Matthew 13, um, verses 11 and 12, say those really kind of contrary words, where he says, for those that have, more will be given, and those that have not, even what they have, will be taken away. And this is all about what's what's called the Matthew effect, that actually conquering these little things makes you stronger. And if you conquer that one, you become stronger again. And if you conquer that one, you become stronger again. If you conquer that one, you become stronger again. We talk about this a lot at school, the Matthew effect, in terms of things like reading, that people who've conquered the basics in reading can then do better with the more complex bits of reading and then can do better with the next bits of reading. So those children who are sung to as babies and read to as babies are at a better starting point and guess what? They're going to learn to read faster and then because they can read those easy books they can then move on to the more interesting books and it just gets better and better and better. If you can conquer the trials that are set in front of you, you then become this stronger, fitter person. You can be joyful knowing I've conquered that and I can put that behind me. Talk about this a lot in school as well for those children who are not coping and who are failing. Because then every time they fail, what they learn is, I can't do it. So therefore, the next problem that comes my way, I'm not going to try it. Because trying it hurts me. I try it, I fail, and I've got to take that personally. And James doesn't want that to happen to the disciples. He knows the Matthew effect. Now, I don't know who came up with the Batari box. I don't think anyone does. Batari is some place in Iraq. I don't know why it's got this name. But this is a great way of looking at the Matthew effect. Um, at the top there, you've got your attitude. Now, if you've got a positive attitude to things, because you know you're good at sorting stuff and fixing them, that then has an impact on your behaviour. You're one of those people who walks around life thinking, I can solve this, I'm going to fix it. I watched um, Crystal Palace on Match of the Day last night. Wilfred Zaha took a penalty. He's one of those footballers who just believes that when he puts the ball down, he is going to score. His attitude is, I'm going to run up and I'm going to belt that into the, into the goal. Like People like Ronaldo, they love it, don't they? They just pull up their shorts, they can't wait to smack it, particularly against England. And then when the England players take the penalty, they think, oh man, I'm rubbish at this. I'm not going to be able to do this. We always lose at penalties. And they kick it over the bar. Your attitude affects your behaviour, and then your behaviour has an effect on other people's attitude. When Zaha gets the ball, the rest of the team go, yes, here we go. Our best players got the ball, so they have then a better attitude, and then that affects their behaviour. Everyone ups their game because they know that they've got this person in their team. And then because everyone else is 
acting so well towards them, that then feeds into their attitude again. And it's this cycle. This is the Matthew effect. The people that have confidence do well in life, and then they get more confidence because things just work well for them. People who don't and are on the other side, it just spirals the other way. Now, which of those four bits of the box can you actually have an effect on? Which bit? Who thinks they can change their attitude? Right? You've got an attitude to my shirt. I can feel it. <laughs> right? Now try and change your attitude to it. You can't. You either like this shirt or you think it was a bad choice for a Sunday morning. You can't change your attitude. Look again at the four things. What can you actually change? Your behaviour is the only thing in that cycle that you can actually change. Sometimes you have to even fake it until you make it. Whatever trial and tribulation you're going through, you can't change your attitude towards it, but you could change what you're actually doing. Just start doing something positive. Because if you do something positive, then other people around you will see that you're doing something positive and will think, let's join in with that. Let's get on board with that. And then their attitude will affect their behaviour and then that could affect your attitude. Because then the people around you will start saying, you know what, you can do that. Let's support you with it. Let's get involved. And then your attitude could start to change. But if you sit around waiting for your attitude to change, or worse, waiting for other people to start treating you with a good attitude, you're going to be waiting a long time. James isn't, isn't on his own in the New Testament to be saying these kind of things. Paul in Romans said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Fantastic words. In verse 4 of James, he says, let steadfastness do its work. I love that line. Let steadfastness do its work. Just hold on in there and let steadfastness do its work. Another study I read about recently uh, was the eraser test. They asked 100 people, if we had a magic eraser that could get rid of the most painful memories in your life, would you do it? Would you get rid of it? Now, the instant reaction is, yes, I'd love to get rid of those awful things that have happened to me. But then when they said, well, actually, really, so if we get rid of it, you also lose all that you learned from it, all the lessons you gained, all the things you learned about yourself, all the resilience that you gained from that. Do you want to rub it out? About 95% of people said, no, actually, on that basis, I'll keep it, thanks. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'll keep those difficult times that I've had. There's also this wonderful motivational conclusion in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised. James is worried that some people might be thinking that 
God's goodness, power and justice aren't real after all. Because look what's happening around them. Look how they're having to scatter. Maybe God's punishing us for something we've done wrong. But none of those things are true. Later on in the book of James, I would encourage you to read the whole thing. It only takes about ten minutes and it makes a lot more sense if you read the whole thing as we're going through this series. Later on he talks about Abraham and he clearly really looks up to Abraham. And he thinks about the 25 years Abraham had to wait for that baby to come along. The hundreds of miles Abraham had to travel, the trials and difficulties he went through. He wants to refer his readers to that kind of inspiration and say, look what's ahead of us. So going back to the two questions we had at the beginning, I hope that this morning's message has helped in some way. What pressures are you facing? What impact is it having on you? And what help do you need? James says we need to draw close to God and he will draw close to us. He says that in chapter 4, draw close to God and he will draw near to you. Obviously the way we do that is through prayer. And this is the prayer that Jesus taught us and I'm going to say it together. I've used this prayer for years through the difficult times that I have, asking God to help me and give me my daily bread, the things that I need to get through the trials that are in front of me that day. But what I like about it is it focuses by getting my eyes on God in heaven, asking that his kingdom will come, his will be done, focusing my attention on that and then looking at the things that I'm struggling with. So let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. And there is that wonderful line there, lead us not into temptation, which of course it also means don't lead us into the time of trial, because it's the same word. It's okay to pray that we wouldn't be going through these hard times as well. And so if you're going through hard times, take the Holy Spirit with you. It's okay to pray that those times will come to an end, but if they don't, If they don't, you'll be getting stronger and you'll be drawing closer to God as a result. Amen.